Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this week's episodes. In the red corner, it's the 80s. And Eddie Murphy is the biggest comic in America. Having just hit box office gold with Beverly Hills Cop, the star tries his hand at a more family-friendly movie, albeit one which opens with a gag about chunky asses and butt pie. Also, haven't special effects come a long way? It may have struck gold at the box office, but having slipped largely into obscurity, it's time to resurrect this cinematic child of the 80s, because from 1986, it's the golden child. Eddie Murphy is back. But this time, he's looking for a missing child. A golden child. This child is special, Mr. Giraud. His destiny is to save the world. And it's your destiny to seek some serious psychiatric help. Okay, may I ask you boys a couple of questions? By the time he finds you, it will be too late. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. In my pocket, there's a whole thing of Tic Tacs. It's take as many as you like, please. I could destroy you just like that. Just like that. You're wonderful. While in the blue corner, director John Carpenter gets to fulfill his wish of making a martial arts movie. But why tie yourself to one genre when you can have five? Describing it as an action-adventure comedy kung fu ghost story monster movie and taking his old friend Kurt Russell along for the ride, it was rushed into cinemas to beat the golden child to the big bucks. And while it may have lost the box office battle, this week it gets another chance to lay some smack down on its rival because the challenger, this week also from 1986, it's Big Trouble in Little China. This is Jack Burton in the Pork Chop Express, and I'm talking to whoever's listening out there. It's a pretty amazing planet we live on here, and a man would have to be some kind of fool to think we're all alone in this universe. 
There is a hidden world where ancient evil weaves a modern mystery. What's going on here? Is this some kind of... Magic. The darkest magic. They call it Little China. Finally, we shall bring order out of chaos. So what connects these two films, and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken! Hello, Clash Potters. Like I told my last wife, I says, Honey, I never drive faster than I can see. Besides that, it's all in the reflexes. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crumpton. I'm Chris Tilly. And welcome then to this week's Mysticism Melee as the golden child goes up against Big Trouble in Little China. So these were my choices. As always, you're very welcome. And also, we're all back in the studio for the first time. (laughs) Chris is here. You've groomed your beard. I groomed my beard. I'm pleased to see you both. Lockdown's treated you well. You're both looking very fit and healthy. And it's just lovely to be back. It is, isn't it? You don't, yeah, no snide from me. Just yeah. really happy. Mm, I'm happy. I'm happy. Oh, frab just day. It's wonderful. Wonderful. I'm funny awkward, though, doing it in this face mask. Can you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> Better than normal, actually. I thought that was the beard. Uh, just a very smooth beard that you've got there. You've matted the hair together to create a... Uh, Kind of doorway. Is there are those hinges on it? Can you open a tiny little beard door to reveal your mouth? <laughs> Let's get on with the podcast. Okay. <laughs> so the clue I gave you last week was Eats Meets West meets the eighties. East meets West meets the eighties. Chris, you added to this with your own clue on Twitter. If you don't follow us on Twitter, please do. We are at ClashPod. Loads of clues for each episode. Loads of extras on there about every movie we cover. So, Chris. What was your clue? Do you all, have it? All the M's. Uh, magic, mayhem, monsters, mysticism and martial arts. Mm. So uh, that really helped a lot of people. I'm just going to do the right answers this week because several of them magically appeared on Twitter. Gemma Page, Mike, Kirsten, Ellen Young, Dorian E and Frank B all got the right answer. But beating Frank B to the title of fastest guest this week by a mere 20 minutes. Congratulations, to Mark Mead. And if you want to know how he did it, it's all in the reflexes. Well done, Mark. So, what about you two? What have you got down as your connections between these two movies, Big Trouble in Little China, uh, Big Trouble in Little China and The Golden Child, this week? Um, I've got, that's no way to behave at an airport. It's good. Yep, very good. Good, very good. Uh, mine's a more general one, but they're both failed franchise starters. Mm-hmm. But you could say that about a lot of the films we've covered in the past. That's but yeah, fair, this yeah. was definitely planned to be trilogies, you know, ongoing series, and it just didn't happen. We had big trouble in Little China. I think they pitched it as it was going to be the new Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay, any more? Victoria? No. Uh, well... I had I'd never watched these back to back, and obviously you recognise certain cast members popping up. Uh, maybe two of the best cast members in both films. So you've got James Hong mm-hmm. as Lopan and Doctor Hong. <laughs> they cast James Hong as Doctor Hong. Yep. Not a lot of creativity there. And uh, Victor Wong as Egg Shen and Old Man. <laughs> Yet again, not much yeah. creativity in the name. Yeah, there Couldn't were two. Asked, there were two though, because sometimes he's called Old Man, but on Wikipedia he's listed as Old Gooper. Is he? Mm. Much better. <laughs> Any more? Uh, no, that's all I've got for you. All right. Uh, you could have had Al Leong there. 
obviously the henchman. He oh, of course. Well, he's obviously in big trouble in Little China yeah. in front of the camera. Yeah. He's one of the street gang. If you don't know who Al Leong is, the best way of describing him is he's the henchman from Die Hard who eats the chocolate bar. <laughs> that he's like brilliant. He's in loads of stuff. Yeah, lethal. But also, he is Genghis Khan and Bill and Ted. Yes, he is. Called him out for that. Yep. Um, he is in front of the camera in Big Trouble in Little China. He did a lot of the stunt work on The Golden Child. Um, you could also have had John Carpenter, because mm. famously he turned down directing The Golden Child to direct Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, but I think I got a couple here. Um, I was going to go with. Isn't it funny that, not funny is probably not the right word, but now uh, we are going to have covered three movies in two weeks that all involve the trafficking of women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, obviously there's the, the girl at the start of The Golden Child who's traded by the biker gang, and then there's the, the green-eyed Susie Pie in Big Trouble in Little China who ends up in the brothel. So you could have trafficking women but I, I just don't want to have that I actually had that <laughs> no, and I you? took it out of my similarities because I didn't like it I didn't want to talk about it mm. okay well we've done it now so there there you go that's done uh, so what I've got is every man and their eastern encounters subtitled that's not a man it's a demon 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 mm. because of David Lopanin Sardo Numspa. Actually, you were keen on that, weren't you? When you were, we, you texted me about the the Twitter clue, and you were trying to get D Man mm. in there. Yeah, uh, I thought it. <laughs> you would love it. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I was struggling though. Mm. I was struggling. All this the is ends. how it starts. Just so you know, because it used to be like quite a democratic thing, and it's like you just make a suggestion, it goes. It doesn't really belong to anybody. Mm. But now it does. The Twitter belongs to Chris. So <laughs> but I did reach out to Alex for help and he came up with something like D-Man, yeah. which was no good. No good to me. Yeah. Um, but never never say that I don't uh, I don't have a lot of self-belief because even gauging Chris's response as being lukewarm at best, I, I still went with it as my connection today. So It's on your T-shirt, which is um, a show of faith. That's not a man. I'm going to say it again. It's a D-Man. D-Mon. D-man. Yeah. All right. There you go. So, I gave you big trouble. Oh, Can I just dive in? Before we go any further, um, I want to do a shout out for the Clash Hall of Fame. Sure. Um, this is our first director with a hat-trick of films in Clash of the Titles. John Carpenter. John Carpenter. Yep. And when that happened in the World Cup, they got given the trophy. So that's a big deal. John Carpenter is in the Hall of Fame. And Dean Cundy, uh, the cinematographer, that's one, two, three, four, five, six films now we've done, Dean Cundy movies. Really? Yeah, so he might be our champion. He might be our most clashed person. I'm not sure he is. Are you, uh, are you forgetting Frank Welker? He comes up later, don't <laughs> we? <Yeah. laughs> he does come up later. He really does, yeah. <laughs> we've all got it. <laughs> oh, I'm never going never gonna to miss Frank Welker. Um, so, yeah, I, okay, that's great. Yeah, this is, we did The Fog, we did The Thing, and now this is... John Carpenter's third movie, Big Trouble in Little China, which I gave to you, Chris. I gave you The Golden Child, Victoria. So Big Trouble beat The Golden Child into US cinemas by five months and UK cinemas by one month. So we do it chronologically, which means, Chris, you begin this episode. Take us on a journey. That's a CB walkie-talkie. This is Chris Tilly with the Clash Pod Express, and I'm talking to whoever's listening out there, so take this advice on a dark and stormy night. When the lightning's crashing and the thunder's rolling and the rain's coming down in sheets as thick as lead, if some wild-eyed sorcerer causes low pandemonium by grabbing two girls with green eyes to lift an ancient curse that's crippled his body, you team up with your far more competent Chinese friend, stare that big sucker right back in the eye and say, give me your, be- give your best shot, pal, I can take it! All right now. <laughs> a little round of applause. Nearly made it. <laughs> Nearly made it to the end. Nearly. It was a lot. It was. He did well. I liked it. 
It's where big trouble was waiting for Jack Burton. Who? Jack Burton. Me. Jack. Jack. Jack! They told him to go to hell. He made one move. And that's just where he's going. Somebody, I don't care who, tell me what is going on. Mysteries, many unanswerable questions, even in a life as short as yours. My destiny rests in your capable hands. Hey, I'll do my best. So, any managed magical memories of watching this one, Alex? Um, so I honestly thought I'd seen this. Uh, it turns out I've seen about two thirds of it. The bit where I came in, I don't know how this happened. It must have been on TV because that's the only reason I wouldn't have watched a film from the start if I'd rented it. So, yeah, from the bit where the three storms appear in the alley to the end I'd seen, but I've never seen the opening, never seen the bit where he meets Wang and they have a gambling match or any of that. Uh, I did want to see this movie, though. Like, this was a movie, as a kid, I remember going, I cannot wait to see that. Again, I'm guessing I saw the trailer on TV, but it was the bit in the trailer where Kurt Russell fires the machine gun into the air and rubble falls down onto him. And I was like, that looks hilarious. <laughs> that looks absolutely brilliant. I cannot wait to see this movie. So what's weird about that is I am one of the few people the minuscule effort that Fox put into marketing this movie actually hit. Like what they, the, the tiny amount they did, because famously they did not know how to do anything with this movie. They didn't know what it was, what they were marketing. They left it so late that even John Carpenter and Kurt Russell thought that the release date had moved because there was no marketing. So uh, actually it worked on me. But ultimately, because I remember so little about it, this is for all extent and purposes a first watch for me vicky same yeah basically i think i've seen it but i must have been really young Mm. because all i remember is kim cattrall's eyes and that's Mm. it so yeah basically the first time i've seen it. that's not far off me the reason i saw it was because of kim cattrall oh yeah of course she was the first woman i think i ever had a crush on because Mm. mannequin came out around the same time oh i was wondering which movie it was going to be because she'd done what she'd done she'd done porkies at this point and she'd done i remember her in police academy yep so those were the two i i I forgot about mannequin yeah so i was waiting to see this because of uh, nothing else which is a weird reason how Um, old were you though in 1985 86 i was eight okay yeah yeah wow it was formative. It was it was Belinda Carlisle and Kim Cattrall. Fair enough. What are you Life. snorting for? Fair no, enough. Again, no, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just haven't heard the name Belinda Carlisle. I mean, for a while. Fair enough. Exactly. Considering we are talking about the fact that Dean Cundy's had six mentions, I think that's Belinda Carlisle's first. So yeah. it's a big moment. That's because you don't come karaoke with me. Again, then you would have heard her name plenty times. The reason I was going 
is because I only know one Belinda Carlisle song and it was a very late Belinda Carlisle song because uh, I didn't know her as a kid, but she did a song called Big Scary Animal in like the 90s. Okay. And uh, it's it just always made me laugh because she goes, Big Scary Animal. And I was like, that's funny. I like Big Scary Animals. Well, speaking of Big Scary Animals, uh, let's talk about Big Trouble in Little China, mm-hmm. which features multiple scary animals. And on that bombshell, I'll get going. Um, so, uh, <laughs> Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, it's good to have him back in the room. <laughs> written by fledgling writers Gary Goldman and David Weinstein, who were inspired by the martial arts movies of their childhood and the Tong Wars that occurred between rival Chinese gangs in San Francisco's Chinatown at the end of the 19th century, mm. which were very interesting to read about. I won't get to talk about them today, but um, we need a film about them because that's not what happened here. Their script was set at that period and it followed a buffalo hunter named Wiley Chestnut um, who helps a Chinese railroad worker save his fiance from the clutches of an evil sorcerer named Lo Pang. Along the way, Wiley searches for his stolen horse and falls for a woman who runs a safe house for Chinese women who have been forced into sex work. Did you see the way he looked at you when he said horse? <laughs> you know that's going to come up later. I'd say he's, uh, he's dropping... You know I don't care about horses, don't you? He's dropping some breadcrumbs, though, because there, there isn't a horse in Big Trouble in Little China, but there is something else that someone's searching for, isn't there? Isn't there? I'll come back. Uh, so Fox uh, purchased the script, and John Carpenter liked it because he's a big kung fu guy. Um... He wanted to make something in the style of Zoo Warriors of Magic Mountain, Five Fingers of Death, or the One Arm Bandit, is how he put it. Mm. And he said he wanted to combine the mystical with the goofy. And um, famously, he wanted to flip the hero and the sidekick. So um, the hero in the story that he wanted to make has swagger and bluster and thinks he's much more capable than he actually is. Yeah. I mean, there's an argument that Jack Burton almost plays Kurt Russell's character. He's almost the sidekick and Wang is the real hero here. But that that script that uh, Goldman and Weinstein actually wrote, uh, I know you're going to get onto it uh, because Richter, W.D. Richter rewrote it. But like, here's what John Carpenter said about it. He said um, the Goldman Weinstein screenplay was unfilmable. It was too huge and bizarre. I started to read it, but I couldn't continue because it was outrageously unreadable, though it had many interesting elements. I could see where there had been a great deal of creativity put into it, but it just wasn't a movie. So Richter was coming off the back of Buckaroo Banzai, uh, having written and directed that, and he was doing a lot of rewrites at the time. So he told the LA Times, I was asked to do a rewrite. I liked the premise of the original script, but I didn't like very much else about it. And I felt it would be more accessible if I could change it to the present day. I kept the central conceit of the subterranean world and a lot of the characters, but my version has none of the original dialogue, uh, which led to a huge fight about who would get credit for writing this film. Yeah, Yeah, imagine how... I thought I well, just if it's sent to a script doctor, you expect some changes. But if it comes back and he's like, "Yeah, I've ditched the period setting," and also there's not a single word of dialogue that you wrote well, remains, apart from Lopan, oh. I like Lopan, I like <laughs> his name. Yeah, so I've kept his name, yep. but nothing else. It'd be like, oh, that's fine. Yeah, they they and they took his name out of any mention of it. And to be honest, when you're watching the the, the Arrow, have done a great Blu-ray package of it, and with um, interviews from the time commentary from 15 years ago and interviews from five years ago really don't mention that that original screenplay at all it's all about Richter all of them yeah so but so at the same time because at first I was on this Gary Goldwyn and David Weinstein side but then the more I read up on it the more like this isn't the film that they wrote 
Hmm. They got paid handsomely for it. Someone else rewrote it, and that's the film that was made. So it's almost unfair, I think, the credit they've ended up with, with those guys getting the written-by credit, and then he's got an adaptation credit. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Because I think initially John Carpenter wanted it to be written. He knew, uh, John Carpenter knew Richter from uh, USC. Uh, so they'd worked together and they knew each other. And John Carpenter actually said of the fact that it eventually went to Goldman and Weinstein, uh, they got the writing credit he said he was he was dismayed uh, that the writer isn't obtaining the proper recognition for his efforts. He went, this bullshit goes on and on. The same situation occurred on Starman. Dean Reisner wrote the draft I shot, but two other gentlemen received screenplay credit because the Writers Guild tends to protect the original writers. I don't necessarily blame them, but it's annoying as hell. <laughs> uh, did you uh, do you, you know how uh, Goldman got his revenge though? I might do. Oh, okay. It's so good because <laughs> I, I didn't know this, and I love it. It's so good. Goldman felt wronged by Richter. Yeah. Uh, four years later, Goldman wrote Total Recall and yeah. called the vil- called the villain Richter. <laughs> as in, as in, see you at the party, Richter. <laughs> Which is great. Uh, and so the only other aspect uh, we probably need to mention now is the fact that Kurt Russell was cast in the lead. Um, John Carmen said he cast him because he's not afraid to look dumb or stupid. Russell said he liked the idea of playing John Wayne without a clue. Um, but he said that he actually spoke to Carpenter and said, are you sure about this? Because at that time, Kurt Russell was feeling like he was the kiss of death for <laughs> movies because his films were not a hit. They got relatively good reviews, but they were not making money mm. um, whatsoever. And he said that what rescued him at this period of time uh, was video. He think that's what kind of resuscitated his career. Mm. And then he started having some hits just after this period. But And you could say that's kind of what rescued this film in some respects was uh, was home video. But that wasn't until a bit later. Yeah. I don't know that John Carpenter like <laughs> will have helped because he kept talking about the golden child in preparation uh, for this movie. And the fact that he'd been offered it and I'm reading what he said... I don't know what the time frame was for him saying these things, but I just worry that if Kurt Russell heard him saying any of them, I'd be like, what? What? You, I just came to you and said I'm a bit worried about where I am in my career. <laughs> and now you're out there saying things like, uh, The Golden Child is a very fine script. It has its problems, but it's also got one big plus. Eddie Murphy. It will be hard to pull off that script. But if they do, it could be a wonderful movie. Naturally, I'm concerned about the similarity between the pictures. Golden Child has a pre-sold ingredient, Eddie Murphy. (laughs) Big Trouble doesn't, so I had to make a better film. Hello, Kurt. Welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Scene one. Let's go. But then that could be reflected in what the film's made at the box office. You know, we'll get into which film was better, but certainly one film made a lot more money than the other, and and that was down to Eddie Murphy. Do you know what film Kurt Russell turned down to make this film, Big Trouble in Little China? Oh, 1986. Mm. Top Gun? No. Don't know. No. Highlander. Oh. Yeah. Uh, He was uh, down to play Conor McLeod uh, in Highlander. Russell McCarthy said that they met for the film and that Kurt Russell appeared ready to take on the role, uh, but that Kurt's then-girlfriend, Goldie Hawn, talked him out of it. Uh, do you know what else um, Russell McCarthy uh, directed? He uh, directed the superhero movie The Shadow in 1994, starring. Oh, who's that got in it? 
Alec Baldwin and Tim Curry. Yeah. I've been letting the side down recently, <laughs> but that completes this week's obligatory Tim Curry mention. Do you like the Tim Curry mention? I do, yeah. Okay. Sorry. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Yeah. I know you don't. I'm non-committal. Well, it doesn't sound like that. It, <laughs> it sounds like you actively don't like it, which is what you were hoping to uh, sway Vicky into. But uh, thankfully, Vicky actually likes the uh, obligatory Tim Curry mention, so it's going to stick around. I thought you enjoyed last week's show, and it really didn't materialise very well. So we're back on track. <laughs> didn't I give you Tom Curry last week? Yeah, you did. You did give me that last week. Yeah. Should we talk about the movie? Uh, yeah, why not? Let's do this. Uh, in my first topic conversation, I'm calling A Tale of Two Intros. So um, the film starts with a very strange scene uh, in a, a law office um, talking about what we're about to watch. <laughs> uh, and how did you feel watching this scene for the first time? Two things. You shouldn't have to perform magic to get a lawyer, which is what it seems. <laughs> it's your state right to have representation. And also, uh, most lawyers are happy with money. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 I'm not going to take you on unless you can prove your magic. That is a hell of a lot of money you've just offered me to take this case. Uh, one further question, and I hate to say it, deal breaker. Got any card tricks? <laughs> <laughs> but second of all, the biggest thing, it made me think that Jack Burton was dead. Right, yes. Mm. Yes. Because why else do that? Then you or at very at the very least trapped in the underworld because it's like someone delivering a eulogy. Which which might be a good place to start from. Yeah. Uh, but then, of course, there's no callback or no. return to this scene. No. So, um, so yeah, this was requested by the CEO of 20th Century Fox, uh, Barry Diller. And indeed, um, he had a hand in writing it, apparently. Uh, he was concerned that Jack Burton wasn't heroic enough, missing the entire point of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wanted him to be more like Rambo, apparently. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll, we'll get on to how the studio reacted to this film, but clearly they didn't understand the tone or the humour that Carpenter was going for. Mm, so that. So they don't, I don't think, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure that uh, Rambo, even Rambo would struggle to pull off knee-high moccasins. <laughs> um, so they insisted the addition of a scene that contradicts pretty much everything that comes after. And then we get the real uh, opening scene of the film, which is good. <laughs> it's, it's Jack Burton it on his um, CB radio giving us cod philosophy about the universe and talking about himself in the third person. And it tells you all you need to know about this character. My only argument is that Victor Wong is fucking awesome. And I love, it's such a quiet scene because this movie is so full of noise, like from the minute it gets going. And I really like that quiet scene in the lawyer's office. And I like getting to see Victor Wong act. And there is something very, it sort of gently brings you in. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I would always choose a director over a studio head meddling. But for me having this legend of Jack Burton created is quite good. I I quite like the sort of like, oh, I want to meet this guy now. I do think it works for exactly the reason it was intended. I might agree if I if we went back there later in the film. I feel like it's a setup for Mm. a payoff or that we're gonna we're gonna end up back in this room. And we don't and because we don't, it feels unnecessary. No, that's fair. And it's sort of hanging. That's fair. If if Jack Burton burst in at the end for some reason. <laughs> That's then what I'll... I was waiting for. Right. Yeah. And here he is. Mm. <laughs> All right. Next, I want to talk about a sequence I'm calling the airport run. Um, so we <laughs> meet Jack and his friend Wang uh, gambling on dominoes. And um, Jack 
catches a knife, showing us what he's previously told us, that it's all in the reflexes, setting up a big payoff at the end of the film, which, you know, I'm a big fan of that. <laughs> uh, Jack wants the money he's owed. Wang needs to pick up a girl from the airport that he's going to marry. And so Jack joins him. And at the airport, that's where they bump into a lawyer called Gracie Law. Mm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a bee in my bonnet yeah. about the names in this film. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> what can we call law? <laughs> yeah. Although the bit, the bit where she enters a room and goes, don't panic, it's me, Gracie Law. It works as a name. <laughs> it works. I guess it works better as a name uh, on a, a regular TV series where every week you watch Gracie Law and Gracie Law <laughs> solves another case. Yeah, I and think... it's called Law and Disorder or <laughs> right. something. Yeah. Um, and we start delving into the plot here, which or, it gets quite confusing quite fast, I think. Um, Wang's there to pick up a girl. Grace is there to pick up a girl. There's a, ga- a street gang called the Lords of Death who are wanting to kidnap one woman but kidnap the other woman. And so it leads to a chase and uh, we're back in Chinatown pretty quickly and then we're on to what I'm calling the Mighty Melee. Okay, one quick note about uh, what you've called uh, the start where we meet Jack and he's playing the gambling game with Wang and it's set in the rear of this street market with the loading bays. That looks great. That's in terms of the way something looks. That looks like the most expensive part of this film. I think I don't know whether it's true or not, but it looks like they sort of gradually ran out of money because everything starts to look a little bit cheap as the film goes on. But I really wish more of it had been set. I know it has to be set in a subterranean world underneath Chinatown, but I really like the way that street looks. Well, like, that's where this scene takes place, isn't it? That we're the melee. I'm talking about the bit before where they're gambling, but yeah, I mean that bit looks good as well, the alley. And I feel like when I think of Big Trouble in Little China, this is the scene I think of yeah. uh, initially is when the gangs um, converge in this street and start fighting each other because I don't think we'd seen fighting like this in a Western movie. Um, no. no, I don't think on, we have. On this scale, using all Chinese actors and Chinese stunt performers. and Well, that was what John Carpenter said. He said he wanted to deliver a movie that brought the spectacle and that fantastic nature of martial arts to a blockbuster film because for that reason it had not been done before. So we've got the Chang Sing who in yellow turbans who are the good guys, the Wing Kong in red turbans who are the bad guys. They shoot each other, they have a standoff. Oh um, wait, quick question. Mm-hmm. Is a Chinese standoff different to any other standoff from any other part of the world? Because Kurt Russell says, what's going on? And Wang says, it's Chinese standoff. And I was like, oh, that must be different from, say, a Mexican standoff or a British standoff. That's so funny because when I was making my notes last week, I wrote down Chinese standoff. And then today I took out, I thought, what's a Chinese? That's not a thing. So I took out the word Chinese, but it's from the film. (laughs) That's me just having the word Chinese in. That's wrong. (laughs) Delete. That's a placeholder. I'll come back to that. Uh, But of course, (laughs) rewriting is writing. (laughs) In a puff of smoke, the three storms then appear. Here with baskets on their heads. We've got thunder, rain and lightning. This is the moment that I remember yeah. and pretty much the only moment that I remember from this movie. Oh, I've got another one later, but okay. we'll get to that. Um, who look great. Uh, they produce like kitchen and bathroom utensils and start spinning them. They are, so they are kitchen utensils. <laughs> no, I'm making a joke. No, like, they're oh, weapons that look shit. like kitchen utensils. Yeah, but they're not supposed to, are they? What? They're not. They're it's not, not salad forks. 
I thought they were back scratchers, <laughs> but they're not. We both, we all know that they're not. It's not a gag within them. It's not intentionally. He's not intent. He's not. It's not yeah. thunder, rain, and salad. <laughs> <laughs> one of them's got spinning sporks, and one's got a couple of back scratchers. Yeah, they are inspired by, and I only know this because I watched this movie for the first time last year. The Masters of Death from Shogun Assassin, which is great, and then they in turn, uh, thunder, rain, and lightning, went on to inspire. A character from uh, a video game and a movie we've covered, Raidan, mm. in Mortal Kombat! <laughs> Which the makers of Mortal Kombat have denied because they don't want to get sued. Really? I read a quote going, yeah, we based it on Raidan. Oh, they, did they? They must have backtracked. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they'd said they'd, they'd based it on actual Chinese myths and not Big Trouble in Little China. That sounds like lawyer speak to me. <laughs> that sounds like they went and went, look at this magic trick, sort this fucking mess out. <laughs> so they do the business with their powers of thunder, rain and lightning, and then Lopan appears, and he looks scary as shit. <laughs> um, and uh, Jack Burton drives him over in his truck, which he loves, not his horse, his truck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, hello. Pay off. Yep. Exactly, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, Lopan fires blue lasers out of his eyes and mouth. So we're not in Kansas anymore. Do you think um, it's weird that uh, our two heroes during that street fight literally are the audience? They sit in a truck and watch it take yeah. place. And Kate Russell's always holding a knife. But it's like, why are you still holding You're obviously not going to use it. So put it down. How long do you have to hold a knife before you go? You, I, I, you start to look stupid. Yeah, just, no, <laughs> well, it's just for show. On, on, the, on the commentary, they do. there's a commentary on the movie with um, Carpenter and Kurt Russell just paired together. And they do talk about the fact, it obviously came up a lot. How do we take Jack Burton out of this fight? How can he not do anything brave? How can he be on the sidelines without it becoming a problem for the film? Mm. Because they didn't really want him to do anything heroic at any point. And so they come up with quite a few clever ways as we go through the film for just taking him out in a funny way, but then bringing him back really quickly. Yeah. This isn't one of them. This is. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, I, I mean, I get it. Jack Burton is literally the audience. Uh, like he, he is our eyes and ears into this new mystical world of monsters and magic. But in this instance, you're sitting on your sofa watching a man sitting in a truck watching the same <laughs> fight as you. It's like, I get it. We are, he is representative of me, but I need him to be less representative <laughs> of me right now. Um, and so, as we've met Lopan, uh, I'm going to go into the next section, which, as uh, I think there's no such... You can't have too much of a good thing. I'm going to use this pun again. Low pandemonium. It was really good. But we'll do it after the break. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cosy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. 
So, low pandemonium, as in David Lopan, the villain of this film, played by the amazing uh, James Hong. Um, and why I wanted to dedicate a, a little section to him is because he has an unnecessarily complicated backstory. Oh, my God, yeah. I wrote down um, a few facts about who he is, where he comes from, what his powers are. And this did my head in. So thousands of years ago, huge earthquakes turned the world upside down and unnatural people roam free to commit grave offences against the gods, including Lopan. He's like an immortal. His flesh and bones are atomized. He becomes a dream. He's a creature of vast, dark, destructive power. His soul swims in the darkest magic scattered across time. He's trapped in formlessness. All the movement in the universe is caused by tension between positive and negative furies. When the furies are out of balance, as with Lopan, people can turn into <laughs> impulsive and evil demons who live forever and exist only to plague the living. The first emperor of China defeated Lopan and imposed upon him that horrible curse of no flesh in 272 BC. He's trapped in an old man's crippled body. He needs a Chinese woman with dragon eyes so he can become young again and rule the universe. He's been searching for 20 years. He must appease the demons to regain his blood, find her, marry her. The curse is lifted. But he finds two women. They both survive the burning blade. They tame the savage heart. So he decides to marry both to appease the gods of the east. He stays the Myelin and to appease the emperor, he has to kill Gracie. Are you crazy? Is that your problem? <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of backstory. And it's, I think it's too much. We don't need all this. All we need is crippled body, girl with green eyes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Because a lot, a lot of those things don't mean anything. His flesh and bones are atomised. Well, I mean, I don't know. I woke up uh, the other morning and my furies were out of balance. So I, saw, I found that relatable. Found that part relatable. You know, when your furies are out of balance. Have a bacon sandwich. Yeah, exactly. Then you'll be fine. Yeah. But what did you think of him as a villain? Brilliant. Yeah. Terrifying. Better as an old man than as the big yeah. scary ghost thing. Definitely. It's, it's, uh, I find there's something quite strange about um, uh, really powerful like creatures that are in withered old bodies mm. yes. and have the ability to transform out of that body. Although it seems to be uh, not within his power. Like, he doesn't get to choose when he transforms. Like other forces act yeah. upon him, which perhaps, uh, just to contradict the argument that there's too much backstory, the fact that it is so overloaded does make it seem like, this is bloody mystical because I can't fathom that, which, why should I? I I've, I'm learning about this uh, for the first time, so it's quite good that there are furies and such. His laugh, his high-pitched laugh, I find a bit freaky. Mm. It creeps me out. Yeah. I just, I'm, I'm, and I'm going to get them, but liver spots, I can't cope with liver spots mm. on people's, because, of you know, the natural fear of mortality and of ageing and being a useless old lady, which I'm about five or six years from, and so liver spots, and he's just covered in them. Mm. Yeah. Unpleasant. And he was very unhappy. They've got footage of him having that makeup put on, and it was a long, a long time he was under the makeup, and he was not happy or comfortable under that. But, but it's very effective. Does everyone get liver spots? Is it just a fact of life? Or are you, are you, are you asking because I drink a lot? Is that, is is that, that why you. I'm just worried why you. Because it's not something that's ever crossed my mind. And for you to sort of say. I don't I'm, think I'm, you've ever thought you're going to get old, if I'm completely honest. Um, I don't think I am. But, <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's sort of a, it's a first. It's just a separate conversation. Yeah, all right. But do you think you're predisposed to liver spots? To getting old. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I don't... Yes. Okay. Because of the drinking. Well, I guess what the only thing Chris and I could offer is maybe just to keep an eye out if we see one developing. I don't know whether you want to get it... Uh, do you get them lasered off? Can you, you get, get them, Or off? just give me more water, mm. I think. Sure. Yeah. What if we spot one during a podcast? Mention it immediately. <laughs> it's more important than this podcast if Vicky gets a liver spot. <laughs> Should we go back to the film? Sure. Um, I wasn't sure what to call the next portion of the film. I've called it running around. 
Um, because the bulk of the movie is um, our heroes running around sewers and tunnels and caverns underneath uh, Chinatown. And I think you can see John Carpenter's love of video games here because it does feel like a series of end-of-level bosses. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going up against, and there's even a moment in the in the fight at the end where they're kind of like two characters are controlling two other characters yeah. like they're playing but a video game. But isn't it a missed opportunity? Unless I was watching it, not properly, which is very possible. They don't. They should just go up or mm. go down. But there's mm. a bit of like oh, this lift only goes down. This lift goes up, and so I wanted that computer game. I'm ascending the levels or descending in order to reach my ultimate like boss level, like, like the, the raid. raid and dread. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm going to double down on what you've said, and I think it's the biggest mistake the film makes is where half of them leave, yeah, and then go back. Go back. I was like. That's stupid. So they're trapped in this, like, let's call it what it is. It's an urban temple of doom. Yes. And they're fighting to get out and then they should be forced to go down. But what happens is Gracie Law gets kidnapped by Mutant Cuddles the monkey (laughs) and dragged away. But the others leave and then they all sort of regroup and then go back. And it's like, we're going back to the same place you should have just stayed at. The only reason why I thought you might disagree with that is do you know where they go back to, to have their meeting and pick up Egg Shen, Victor Wong's character, and all his men before they return to the Urban Temple of Doom. To a restaurant? No, no, because remember, they go down a fire pole in it. They do? Mm. It's not. It is. It's not. It's it's the firehouse from it's Ghostbusters. Not. Yeah, it's the same set. It's not! <laughs> <laughs> when are we going? Yeah. Chris, uh, look at that furrowed brow. This is a man is who's about... Is it not true? It is true. <laughs> it's true. I double, triple checked because I'm not going to throw a Ghostbusters fact at Vicky so for pathetic. that reaction. It's so pathetic. I saw them go down the pole and I was like, fucking love Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah. It's the same set as from Ghostbusters. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, I Do love you it. disagree, Chris? Do no. You... Oh, I don't. I don't. Are you annoyed that you didn't have that little tip no. on your computer no. screen? No. No, I don't, I don't like it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I think you are. Just a little bit. Because that is my favourite now, so <laughs> it feels it feels um, like that. I know I know we have different off. standards for what Tilly trivia should be, but I feel that fits well within the parameters of what you describe as Tilly trivia. <laughs> okay. It does. Okay. Agree to disagree. So um yeah, so running around in circles like headless chickens. We meet you said uh the the cuddles. <laughs> Cuddles monster. <laughs> Isn't it? It's Keith Harris. Yeah. It's cuddles that Keith Harris had, but it looks like he's been in a fire. We meet the we meet we meet the not Keith Harris, he means the puppet. No, I know. <laughs> puppet means a lot to a lot of people. I hate that duck. <laughs> Um, he was always better than Orville, wasn't he? Always cuddles. better. Always. Yeah, it's like the way Zippy was always better than George. Hmm? I'd put them on a, a yeah, similar agreed. a similar sort of puppet realm. Zippy, cuddles, you know, arrogant. Sidekicks. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're sort of the underdog, but you love them more. Mm-hmm. But I don't love this monster. So that weird monster, better or worse than the eye monster we see, who looks a bit like a mad ball with lots of eyes, who is oh, the worse. Guardian. Yeah, but why? Well, I don't know. It looks a bit more gross. No, just worse. Mm. Doesn't well, really do anything. Just just strength and the blob thing has got a bit of sass. I'm always like that. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. Yeah, and they're both kind of funny though. Well, the blob thing sort of at least. Provides a function and is explained in some way as That's it's true. this guardian, this floating like eye. organic ball of eyes that Lopan uses to see stuff rather than setting up a network of cameras. Uh, but the cuddles, the melted cuddles monster <laughs> is just, just, I don't know what it's doing there. It's not really explained. Grabbing ladies. At all. 
No, and Carpenter seemed to say that the, the studio didn't like it when that monster showed up. But he said it was in the script that they signed off on, and I shot the script. So Not like, the one set in the 1890s? No. No, okay, no. right. Um, we also, during this period, meet Margot Litzenberg, a Gracie's journalist friend. What did you think of her? I think... Um, this is like my change, but I'll try and think of another one. You, sh- they should have collapsed those characters. You don't. I mean, I'm not trying to take women out of the film. It occurs to me that we've done more films by a man named Dean than we have done any by women. So that's a bit of a shame. But not to um, diminish the role of women within this film, but you can collapse the character traits and then give that one woman maybe a bit more to do. I don't feel like she's necessary. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And she is. She, she's Basil Exposition as well, isn't she? <laughs> she? She doesn't have much more. But it's sort of weird. On top of everything else, she talks about... There's a scene where I'm pretty sure she goes, the David Lopan, who, I've, got the, who, I've got the quote, who yeah. runs the, the, this bank. and You mean the David Lopan, that's chairman of the National Orient Bank and owns the Wing Kong Import-Export Trading Company, but so reclusive that no one's laid eyes on the girl for years. And then Gracie goes, the Wing Kong Exchange, the most dangerous den of cutthroat madmen in Chinatown. You can't just waltz in there and out there like the wind. I think that was funny. Like, they're making a joke of exposition, yeah. aren't they? Yes. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, I just thought I, I wasn't a fan of that character. But, yeah, we, you know, we're spending more time with Jack here. We're seeing him as the big idiot he is, the himbo. Um, I love that scene when he goes to the door to open the door and he's going to rescue them all and then there's everyone waiting behind the door for him <laughs> and he shuts the door and then... Um, but he is brave as well. That's the thing. He's an idiot, but he is brave. Like he tells them all to run off. They've only seen me, and he stands there on. He's willing to stand there on his own. Yeah. So he is as brave as they're saying at the start of the film. But he's just an idiot. Yeah, and there's a lot of setup and payoff to various gags. Like when someone asks him if he's fired a gun before, and he goes, "Of course I have." And then when he tries to fire it, Wang goes, "The safety." He's like, <laughs> "Yeah." <laughs> but then he is kind of shocked because it does seem like the first time he has shot someone dead, doesn't mm. it? Which I thought was a nice touch. Yeah. I mean, he's great. I mean, the bit where the bit where on the monster front where the giant lizard insect pops out of the hole and swallows one of the men whole and drags him back and Victor Wong goes, it will come no more. And Jack goes, what? Huh? What'll come no more? Lines like that are just brilliant, but I'll get on to why I think that's brilliant in a moment. Uh, now we're in the final stretch, which I'm calling Vegas Wedding. Yay! Um, <laughs> Lopan's neon-lit marriage to two women uh, that he gets to by riding down on an escalator. Like, I'm sorry, it's a martial arts film. He should just slowly float down, shouldn't he? But he but takes he an escalator. It's so good. Uh, when I said it gets cheaper and cheaper, this is the set I hate. Compared to the way it looks at the start, this I really... I really don't like this. But equally, I would love to have a party in that venue. That looks like a cracking party venue, yeah. but not a, a wedding ceremony. You'd get, I'd know, you'd get your fingers trapped in the escalator or something. <laughs> and then uh, the finale is the same finale as Flash Gordon, which came out just three or four years before, uh, where they spend the last 20 minutes trying to stop um, Ming the Merciless from um, marrying Dale Arden. And that's exactly what's happening here. Yeah, well, I got a bit confused again. So David Lopan just got greedy towards the end. So he was only meant to have one green-eyed girl, but yeah. because two turned up, he was like, oh, cool. I had to definitely kill one, Yeah, but now I can kill one and marry and one. Check one. Yeah, yeah. He'll, he'll appease a god by living with one of them, and then he'll appease the emperor by killing one of them. I Great. think that was the pointless um, twist. Yeah. 
So there's a big, another big melee uh, happening um, here, which uh, I love the build up to this because you've got all the goodies in a lift drinking. What do we think's in that potion that they're drinking? Ecstasy. No, Mm. I don't know. (laughs) It does seem like ecstasy though, doesn't it? The way they're behaving, they kind of seem like they're all um, loved up. Don't think ecstasy was around in 1985. It wasn't invented. No. I don't, well, I don't, you know, I, I thought it was a sort of 90s rave drug. I'm not well, sure. I don't know. That's just when it took off, no? Okay. So, so it was just used in sort no, of... No, because didn't, um, no, I don't, I'm not going to say that. I can't prove that. I was about to say, didn't Hitler like ecstasy? But I don't know if that's true. I watched a documentary. Yeah, everyone's on, seen yeah, like, yeah. One where he was on massive He's amounts like, of drugs. His doctor mm. just kept filling him with more and more drugs. But it does make you love people. So it seems a oh, little bit yeah. like a... Something's gone wrong in the formulation because he should have been like, "What? What am I doing? What am I doing? Come here, let me give you a hug. I'm so sorry. We might have to cut that out. So let's just, <laughs> let's just get off the subject now. Um, but I think it's one of the funniest scenes in the film. They, they all feel like they're invincible and they're all just smiling at each other, like they all know something we don't. And one of them goes to reach. I, have I made this up? But doesn't one man go to reach for another man's hair, like mm. to do that stroke that you do? <laughs> no, aren't they doing the signal they're all doing to each other? Oh, well, I thought, I thought it was reaching. You're like, I've just got to touch you. Okay. Uh, this is the scene that Alex liked, where Jack Burton shoots uh, the ceiling and the rubble knocks him out for part of the fight. I just think I don't think I'd seen that gag as a ten-year-old kid, and when I saw it in the trailer, I was like, "That's brilliant!" All these idiots firing their guns in the air they don't think about roofs (laughs) Uh, and so we've got this amazing martial arts fight happening while at the same time jack's getting trapped under a bloke and then he's got he's going running around fighting with lipstick on his face and (laughs) um but we then get the final moment between him and lopan where he catches the knife because it's all in the reflexes and throws it back at lopan good uh, saving the day it's a good moment i've forgotten Mm. that moment and like you say it's a payoff to the start very very satisfying um we're happy to see the back of Lopan, but our old friend Wind is not happy with this. No, and I, that, what is that? I feel that power should have been set up more. I'm not quite sure what that power is, where he inhales a lot, uh, <laughs> because you never see him earlier on when they try and shut him in the cell that they're shut in. He starts doing it then. Yeah. And I think he blows off the door, but you don't really see how it works. So He, he blows he blows Jack Burton off him. Jack Burton's on his back and he yeah. sort of expands and and shoots Jack back with with the expansion of his waist. Mm. Uh, but here he's so moved and sad and shocked to see his his boss dead. He explodes. Yep. Like a, he looks like a garbage pail kid. Yeah. For a few minutes, a few seconds, and then he explodes. It's just it, I did not see that coming. I love a bit. I love. I've said it before. Said it before. Practical effects, though. That moment where he's just this giant inflated man is great. <laughs> it's, it's, it's uh, you've never seen that before. Um, and then uh, there's a deleted scene that gets cut out here uh, where he, Jack finds the truck. He's escaping in the truck with everyone. And they, he actually runs into the gang from the airport from earlier in the film. And they're in their sports car. And so he drives at them and smashes their car into the water. So there's some payoff with them. Oh, good. Um, but they cut that out for time, it said on the disc uh and then we've got the finale in a restaurant um where where gracie propositions jack um and he says he'll think about it and then says no now gracie is uh a lawyer Mm. she's a smart cookie here we go and she's offering to go on the road with a trucker rather than sort of continue her career it seems she's also kim cattrall am i right (laughs) god i would have said yes (laughs) Uh, um (laughs) 
<laughs> so I guess this is this. Oh, what is that, John? <laughs> this feels like the wrong thing for the movie, maybe, but the right thing for Jack Burton. What What do you think? For well, his- I think I really wanted the payoff with a kiss, but they have already kissed. So that's yeah. right. And then she does that weird. Like she's like, "Is this really happening?" It's like, "Chill out, babe." But fine. Bit weird. But it's just done, it's not what you're expecting. And it's just done so brilliantly. Mm. I don't know why he's saying no, but it's brilliant that he does. Yeah. It's, or it's maybe it's brilliant the way he does it. I don't know. But I thought it really, it stood out. Well, isn't it meant to be? It, it, it's, it's you know, it's the, it's, the, uh, it's the overhang of the original sort of Western script of a stranger sort of riding into town. And then mm. that same stranger never hangs around with a girl. He rides out. It's just mm. because... Shane, Shane's the f- most famous example, yeah. But in those movies, it's done with... Uh, you know, a certain amount of, wow, you know, he clearly loves this girl and, and he can't stick around because that's his modus operandi, just keep on moving. Yeah, keep trucking. And here, it's sort of I'm him like, just nah. going, fuck it, I'm off. <laughs> See ya. I, mean, I, think, I think his point kind of is, I'm a nightmare. And let's be honest, he's a nightmare. It wasn't going to work. I think he was doing the right thing by her, really. Like, I'm a nightmare. Mm. You don't want to get stuck with me. Yeah. <laughs> and if you stand downwind of him, it's Miller time. <laughs> and so then we've got the... Pre-credit, post-credit scene, um, as it would be called now, and where it would appear, where uh, that monster from the film appears on the back of Jack's truck. It's just so silly. I mean, it's... But great, because, again, because we hadn't seen stuff like that before. That was not a normal thing to get in a film, whereas now there's an expectation that some of Blockbuster will have... Uh, a setup at the end for something that's going to happen in the next film. When did the Twilight movie, Twilight Zone movie come out? I can't remember, but I feel like I'd seen that in the very last bit of the Twilight Zone movie the... where Dan Aykroyd, who is there at the very start mm. and is the monster, turns out to be driving the ambulance with John Lithgow in at the end. So I felt like I'd seen it yeah. in that. But I might have seen this first. I don't know. But better than that, we then get um, the song Big Trouble in Little China by the Coupe de Ville. Mm-hmm. Any, any fans of that tune here? No. It's awful, isn't it? <laughs> really bad. It's really awful. But the Coupe de Ville's, um, obviously John Carpenter on lead vocals, Nick Castle, who plays The Shape in Halloween and co-wrote Escape from New York. And the third member is Tommy Lee Wallace, who d- directed Fright Night 2, Halloween 3 and the TV version of It. So you've got some horror royalty there in that band. They just should be making music. Love <laughs> the TV version of It. Uh, so the Asian community was not happy about this film. Uh, they felt it was filled with Fu Manchu style stereotypes. Um, so they picketed it, but uh, John Carpenter's defended it to the hilt, saying, "You know, we were the first Western film to put this many Chinese characters in. They're mainly heroes in this film. They were working all behind the scenes in front of the camera." So. Um, I don't know, up to you what you think about that. Well, yeah, I think he even said, he, I think he was quite upset by the fact that they were picketing this movie uh, because he felt he'd uh, edited the script himself and taken out a lot of material he felt would be offensive to Chinese Americans. Um, he, uh, he also felt that, I think, you know, what was he supposed to do? He was making a movie which had, uh, you know, a handful of... Um, white actors and then a lot of Asian actors in it and he felt that he was trying to do the right Mm. thing so I think it quite upset him that they uh, targeted this movie. And you could even look at it as anti-American in the way it portrays Jack Burton. Mm. This big idiot in a big truck with a big ego coming in and actually messing everything up. Yeah. And the Chinese having to save his arse every 
turn. Um, so as Alex said, um, you know, while they had a good time making it and they believed they'd made a great movie, the studio wanted Indiana Jones and that's not what he gave them. They were very unhappy with John Carpenter. There was a war broke out at the studio, is how it's put on the DVD. Uh, they gave him a huge list of notes to begin with based on stuff that one of the producers had missed because he'd gone to the loo. Mm-hmm. Um, then they asked him to cut out everything funny <laughs> in the film. Uh, they tested it. And then after those previews, they made him put back everything that was funny. Uh, And Kurt Russell, um, a few years later, said the studio decided to bury the film. They actively sabotaged it. Yeah. He believed that they, um, (laughs) he believed they made him look bad on the poster on purpose. I don't think that's true. The poster's amazing. Um, There's a couple of posters. And he said the first one, when it's a drawing of him, he said, because I wasn't that famous, although I think he was pretty famous, but he said it could have been Jeff Bridges or Jan Michael Vincent. (laughs) And so selling off the back of, of an image that was barely me, um, wasn't very smart and as as Alex said you know they didn't even know it was coming out two weeks beforehand it got they felt it got buried it it drove John Carpenter away from making studio movies he didn't do another one until Memoirs of an Invisible Man and he needn't have bothered mm-hmm. um, uh, but it became a cult um, on video and it's probably one of his most popular films now but like with The Thing I talked about this on The Thing episode John Carpenter when people come up to him and say they love Big Trouble in Little China or they say they love The Thing he said to them, where the fuck were you when it was released? <laughs> <laughs> um, but that, that fact, it became... I was trying to think why. If, you know, Obviously, it getting buried didn't help. But I think this is a film, as you said, it, it, it's, it's all these different genres. I wouldn't know where you would put this in a video store, this movie. And that might have been the problem for it in a cinema, that audiences just couldn't figure out what it was and so I mean, didn't you, go. You read the taglines and... They really don't know how to sell it. The taglines are some of the most vague taglines. If you could sort of go through the list, because the marketing department, like like you're saying, we're like, what is this movie? How do we sell it? It's like, adventures don't come any bigger. Fairly vague. Some people pick the darndest plates to start a fight. Uh, Jack Burton's in for some serious trouble, and you're in for some serious fun. Uh, and uh, in the end, I think they just went with, someone probably listened to John Carpenter going, this is what the movie is. A mystical action adventure comedy kung fu monster ghost story <laughs> on the poster. Put that on the poster. That'll well, that, clear everything up. That poster that, that Russell was moaning about, he said it. The, the, the tagline on that was "Who is Jack Burton?" And he was like, "Who the fuck cares? Like, we've given you, you don't know who this is, and you don't know why you should care." So yeah. I think um, Fox ended up spending all their money on Aliens and the Fly as well, which I think upset people as well, because Aliens and the Fly were obviously two more big Fox movies and they spent more marketing money on those. Uh, but they were also better, so maybe they were just making a smart business decision. I don't know. Do you know what uh, the biggest movie of 1986 was? This isn't the quiz. Top Gun? Is correct. Yes, Top Gun was the highest grossing film of 1986, another film that John Carpenter turned down. He was offered Top Gun and he didn't see it being much of a success at all and thought that fighting the Russians in the third act wouldn't do any favours for already hostile international relations. Uh, His actual quote was, Top Gun, come on. They fight the Russians in the third act. Come on now. There'd be World War Three. Stop that. Come on. (laughs) Which I love as a quote. (laughs) Come on now. Stop that. They, World War Three. Stop that! <laughs> uh, but about five years ago, they announced a potential remake of Big Trouble in Little China, and that was at the time I was in Austin covering a little film called Bone Tomahawk. We mm. might have done on this podcast, yeah. and I interviewed Kurt Russell and I asked him about this, and I asked him how he felt about someone remaking one of his most beloved films. He said, "I don't think anything sacred." 
I know why we did a remake of The Thing with John Carpenter. John wanted to do a movie that was called The Thing, but it was really from the short story. It was a movie about paranoia. I like that. It was quite different. I have no idea what they're going to do with Big Trouble in Little China. I know why we made it. It was quite fresh and different at the time, and it became a cult movie. Hopefully they'll find the right tone and reason. The director's got his work cut out for him, um, but there's no reason not to do it. My wish is that they come up with something that's better than what we were trying to do. Mm. So um, since then, they've said it's not going to be a remake. It will be a sequel. So I guess it would be something like, you know, Son of Jack Burton. Or... I haven't heard much mention of it for a while, if though. it did happen, yeah. Well, it, it always has me scratching my head, films that were a huge failure at the time. Mm. And make no bones about it, this was a big failure. The, the budget was $25 million and it made $11 million. Yeah. Do you know, I mean, it's it's actually... You talk about flops and then you talk about Big Trouble in Little China. This opened behind, in the same week it came out, it opened behind Psycho 3 and Basil the Great Mouse Detective oh. at the box office. But, Mark, um, good. on the on the radio thing, oh, I, I do like Basil the Great Mouse Detective. <laughs> it's really good. It is really good. It's great. It's Sherlock Holmes with a mouse. Um, <laughs> But I uh, I got a few uh, answers from uh, John Carpenter. This is, these aren't my answers. This is an interview I read uh, with him talking about remakes. He says, there's always been remakes. It's nothing new. This was someone asking him about the Assault on Precinct 13 remake. So it's how he got onto the subject. I've heard all sorts of theories. One theory is that because people grew up with the video cassette world and the DVD world and a lot of movies, they've heard the title or seen them and they're really not familiar with them. So why not go ahead and remake them. So the idea that Big Trouble in Little China, people are aware of, but like me on the show, I've not really seen it. Mm. Mm. So there's a sort of built-in audience there. But then he goes on to say, the other explanation is there's no fucking creativity in Hollywood anymore. It's all over. Yeah. Love John Carpenter. He's brilliant. He tells it like it is. Yeah. So any more for any more, or should we get on to the bits? Let's do the bits. Okay. uh, Vicky, favourite scene. Oh, it's difficult. Um, I think it is the neon wedding because I just thought, like, exactly what you said, like, oh, it'd be great to go there. I loved it. Like, I mean, I'm, quite, I'm actually quite terrified of escalators. You know, like, there's always just, yeah, I'm not an, I'm not actually an old lady, despite what I've claimed, but I am quite nervous of them. So then when I saw um, David Lobhan sort of gliding down and then just with the neon skull, I just thought that, that looked great. You could put a bar in the corner, no problem. Um, yeah, private venue. So I was, I was into that. Did you ever see the advert that was on the telly in the early eighties, warning kids against the dangers of escalators? No, um, but maybe like subconsciously. And a little child, a little welly, gets sucked into the escalator, and I was convinced my feet were going to get sucked into an escalator yeah. when I was a kid. It was honestly one of the most frightening things I ever saw when I was a kid. I always got taken out at the bottom of an escalator. I was rushing down, being from London, sort of, but I was at Euston. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like I was at Euston, and there was a tourist to my right, and she didn't she didn't know the rules, so she swung her wheelie suitcase out just as I was getting to the bottom, and she just wiped my feet from underneath me. So I just landed my full weight on both my knees, and I tore my trousers, and I had to go all the way home with these torn bloodied knees um, trying to pretend that I was fine but obviously I was mortally embarrassed Mm. it was awful awful Alex have you ever been attacked by an escalator (laughs) no but um, it did scare me I wasn't ever scared of escalators until I saw Eugene Toomes in the X-Files meet his death Mm. being sucked (gasps) under an escalator and that really I think so I was a a late bloomer as far as realising the deadly power of the escalator I just grew up with a vision of all these kids dead underneath escalators and wellies just hanging (laughs) Um, but a welly would come off so easily. Like, 
If it was perhaps Kurt Russell's knee-high lace-up boots, then you've got a problem. You You can't can't get that. I think, from my memory, it was a little girl riding up on the escalator and then it was just a close-up of the welly just getting sucked in and she was no longer in the boot, but it was showing, well, if she was wearing that. And then a monster had like, yeah. I'll uh, have to post it on the Twitter. Uh, Alex, favourite scene? Uh, My favourite scene is probably, what's in the flask egg? Magic potion? Yeah. Thought so. Good. What do we do? Drink it? Yeah. Good. Thought so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've got to go with wind exploding. That was yeah. a, me and my brother laughed a shit ton at that. For our, we must have been about ten when we watched it. For a ten-year-old's mind, that was one of the most amazing things we'd ever seen, <laughs> um, and it's still effective. Uh, Alex, what is your most valuable whatever? Um. Uh, okay, Kurt Russell. I'm gonna go. I'm going with Kurt Russell mm. because I. I just I love the fact that he's got no idea what's going on and I didn't realize this at the time but as I went through my notes I was like most of my favorite quotes are him asking questions <laughs> and I didn't realize just how many questions he asks in this film and then I went on YouTube uh and I found something called the uh Jack Burton asks a lot of questions. Big Trouble in Little China, Supercut. And I'm just going to play you a little segment of it to give you a taste of just how many questions Jack Burton asks in this movie. It's Miller time. You know what I say when it's Miller time. Don't what? What? Yeah! Where'd you get that? Where? All right, what's going on, Wang? Why'd they steal your girl? She's a what? What the hell? Sharpen their knives, huh? I can't know. Where is it? What alley? Where the hell are we? What is it, a parade? A fighting tong? Maybe we should try a different alley. What do you say? These guys, these sing-dings. Chang sings. They got enemies? What's happening, Wang? Chinese standoff. A what? Who's that? Who? What? How the hell could I run straight through it? Who wiped out all those yellow turpins up there, huh? Three guys did all that. Listen, what about that whatever it was I ran straight through and so it goes on for five and a half <laughs> minutes. Uh, it's worth watching. Um, yeah, so I just think, I think he's great. I, do you know who else thinks he's great? Not I'm backing up my uh, choice for uh, uh, the MVW with uh, a good director, but Taika Waititi talks about the influence of Jack Burton and this movie on Thor Ragnarok and mm. In the same way that Jack's looking for his truck, Thor is sort of like thrust into this environment that he doesn't understand in Ragnarok, looking and, for uh, a way back to um, Asgard. And Disney said to him, uh, Taika, we're going to give you $200 million. You're going to base it on a film that made $11 million. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I just think his influence is huge, though. I, I, you know, after I sort of followed the Taika Waititi uh, down the, 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 the rabbit hole, then I suddenly realised that... Um, one of my favourite characters in the Marvel Universe, Star-Lord, is basically, mm. like Chris Pratt's interpretation of that character, is is Jack Burton mm. in so many ways. Mm. That's why they made Kurt Russell his dad. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Although Kurt Russell won't admit to that. I, I like, did, like, spent ages searching for him going, yeah, yeah, so that's why I did it, because I could tell. But I think they've said, don't fucking mention Big Trouble in Little China <laughs> in any interview. Because people go, but it's Jack Burton. And he's like, so I've, there were numerous reasons why I picked this movie. You're like, okay. <laughs> uh, Vicky, MVW. Uh, Kurt Russell also. Um, 
So, because I went on a bit of a journey with him, but there is, so there's a scene where he goes to the White Tiger, which I think is a restaurant slash brothel, and he's looking for a girl with green eyes and he wants to buy a girl with green eyes. He gets a girl, she doesn't have green eyes, but he still gets undressed. <laughs> so I was like, oh, no, I don't like you, Kate Russell. She's like, take off your tan. He's like, sure thing, honey, whatever. And it's like, that, what, what's going to, if the three storms hadn't come in, would you have shagged her? Which is not the part of the mission? She hasn't got green eyes No, yet. he was playing, he was playing along, so he, he didn't spoil He was trying not to let her know that he was there for other reasons then to, you know, get it on. But then, then I thought about, you know the scene where he's on the phone and he's wearing a tiny blue satin dressing gown? Love that. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, that. I'm going I'm to tell you about an accident, and I do not want to hear "Act of God." It's just how can he be so? He's he's em, he's empowered in that scene, and yet he's wearing a tiny embroidered gown, and that takes some doom. Well, speaking of his costume, I'm going for his moccasin boots. Oh, oh they're awful. awful. Uh, like, why? 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 Why would you ruin like? It's bad enough that, like, you sort of want to go, okay, so, like, as a kid, you're like, okay, so he's my hero mm-hmm. in this. He's like, you know, he's wearing a white vest. He's like, you know, he's got stonewashed jeans on. This is the 80s. This is my hero. And then, like, just put him in cowboy boots. Yeah. Put him in trucker boots. Do not put him he's in knee-high moccasins. Why right. is he wearing knee-high boots? Is the bottom of the cab cold? It doesn't make any sense. Yep. I like that they're actually useful, though. He's got his knives hidden in You there. can hide a knife in any boot, Chris. Um, <laughs> they, are, they are... They are... How does Alex know that? <laughs> uh, they are iconic. And what made me love on the Kurt Russell commentary, he talks about them... He doesn't seem to see that they look ridiculous. He he just bought a pair for his son Wyatt in a trip to Aspen because oh. he, he's going to keep them in the family. Please tell me. And he me. wasn't even joking. It was like, yeah, Wyatt's got a pair now. Please <laughs> tell me he fought for them. Like that was the one battle he fought on this movie. He was like, I'm going <laughs> to, John, I'm going to, I'm going to have to really force my hand here. The, <laughs> the moccasins are staying. They're so comfy. Uh, Vicky, what would you change? So this is quite a, 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 a theoretical, bit of a heavy one. It's not funny. Um, the, one of the problems with this film is it takes a while to get your eye in with the comedy because the disparity, the discrepancy between dialogue like we shook the pillars of heaven versus, hi, I'm Gracie Law and I'm always getting in trouble. Mm-hmm. That what? So when you first meet Kate Russell and he's talking nonsense on his radio, you're not in the sort of silliness that she brings. And then once I understood where we were, with the way when she first introduced us, I was like, what's what's going on? And then I got it. And it seems that Kurt Russell's character seems to pick up the pace with the comedy as the film progresses. But it, t- it takes too long for me to understand where I am. The scene where he's playing dominoes with, his, um, with Wang is funny but it's not hilarious and it's quite serious it's a bit threatening yeah they don't seem like mates even no. like it could go either way and then it's like oh you're buddies and you're on a quest fine but it, it takes too long to get there so that might be why it was hard to sell as a comedy and maybe why it wasn't such a hit but i think mm-hmm. it's a shame because i've heard of this film so much over the years it's so many people's favorite film and it is such a laugh it is really it's a real shame that it tanked mm. uh alex yeah, in a similar vein, I just I, I really think um, I really think it's not fair to have a filmmaker and a star uh, make a, a, a film like this and then to scupper it uh, by being the studio not getting behind it. So I really think Fox should have got behind it. I I, I actually think I'd have liked to have seen more Jack Burton mm. adventures for exactly the same way Vicky's saying. Like by the end. I was much more sold on the comedy and this character and who he was than I was at the start. And it did take me a long time to get into it. Uh, but I guess more importantly, I'd have liked Carpenter, who I bloody love, 
uh, to have carried on working throughout the rest of the 80s uh, within the studio system. I wish this hadn't sort of ended that relationship for him. And I do love They Live. I think it's fantastic, and I'm glad he made that. But I just would have liked and to Prince see... And Prince of Darkness is Prince good. Prince of Darkness, yeah. We wouldn't have got those films, potentially. True, but I just... I, I think he... You know, I think he would... If this had been a hit, it would have allowed him to still make fucking out there movies, but with a lot more than $3 million mm. as a budget. So I think it's a real shame that... Um, that it didn't do well because of things out of his control. Uh, my change, and this was my idea, which I came up with, is I would <laughs> I would combine the characters of Margot and Gracie <laughs> into Gracie. <laughs> this is what I got. Uh, yep, combine them both into her. There's no need for both those characters. They serve roughly the same purpose. Mm. And give Gracie a bit more agency uh, to do. to Because she's up as kind of a badass, and what she's doing is amazing. And there, there was a deleted scene, actually, where you find out that she was born in China, and her parents were mercenaries who were murdered, and that's why she was here doing all this, trying to do all this good to save people. Um, so, yeah, give her a bit more to do as well so she's not just the damsel in distress for so much of the film. She obviously doesn't really have um, green eyes in real life, neither does uh, Susie Pye, uh, plays um, the other girl uh, in it. Uh, so they had to wear green contact lenses, which um, at the time you couldn't tell on the movie screen and it's only now that it's uh, obviously been released and uh, remastered on Blu-ray that it actually pays off that they were wearing these green contact lenses <laughs> for the movie. Um, also, I do have another note. I um, I really wish that um, Kurt Russell hadn't started getting undressed um, in that brothel scene. <laughs> that was a note I came up with all of my own. So I just think it's like, you know, you're there for other reasons. So I probably don't start getting undressed because it's just like, what are you going to do? You're going to have sex with her because that's not why you're there. That's a, no, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Yeah, this Thanks. is not like this has never happened to me before mm. where some men have stolen credit or something yeah. I've thought. Oh, it's fine. I mean, I can show you my notes. I've just got it here. So. <laughs> all legit. All legit. Uh, right then. Uh, does that bring us to the end of Big Trouble in Little China? It certainly does. Great. Quiz time? Yeah, why not? Okay. The quiz this week is, God, 986, right? What a lot of movies. But what were those movies? I'm going to give you the taglines for some movies that were all released <clears> in 1986. <throat> and you're going to tell me what the film is. <laughs> Victoria Chris. Are you ready? And Victoria, before you pull that fucking face... <laughs> I think it's a bit late, but go on. <laughs> before you pull that face, these are entirely gettable. Uh, I have tried to mix and match to, uh, to you know, because I know Chris... To my low standard. No, because obviously you're younger than Chris. So oh, that's true. Chris is more familiar well, with that. That's true. I was films. five mm. in 1986. And Chris was 14? 14, so... Mm. so here we go. First one. Where everything seems possible... And nothing is what it seems. Labyrinth. Is correct, Chris. Okay, that was the one that was meant for you, Vicky. So <laughs> here we go. <laughs> I'm trying to do some uh, less famous taglines first and then building up to the more famous ones. Okay, here's one. There are some places in the universe you don't go alone. Aliens? Uh, is correct. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They've never heard that. So, tagline, far, so far, all films we've done on the podcast. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'll get this one, Vicky. I won't. You'll get this one, Vicky. Don't say that. You'll get this one, Vicky. Something went wrong in the lab today. Very wrong. The fly. Okay. Oh, for fuck's sake. Another film we've done. Just, can I just ask, are these all films we've done? <laughs> like, for the other questions? There are, there are at least three of these. We've actually talked, you and I have talked about the taglines to each other when I've gone, Victoria, listen to this tagline. <laughs> Oh, here we go. There's another one for you. There's another one for you. Ugh. All right, so it's 3-0 to mm-hmm. Chris so far. Still all to play for, still all to play for. Don't lose your head. There can be only one. Highlander. Yeah, Ooh. there you go. 
So 4-0 to Chris. Still a lot to play for. Still a lot to play for. You'll get this one, Vicky. You like this movie. You talked about how much you like this movie. Have I? Life is not a malfunction. Short, Short circuit. circuit. Yes! <laughs> Victoria You've got, got to give it to me. You've got yeah, to yeah, yeah, Victoria got in there. All right, all right. Here we go. Still all to play for. 4-1. A new breed of hero. Howard the Duck. Yes. Yeah, yeah there you go. Howard the Duck. All right, close yeah. one, Vicky. I saw you opening your mouth. Here we go. <laughs> she wasn't going to say it. Oh, she wasn't going to yeah. say it. I wasn't. No. I prefer its other tagline. You will believe that a duck can talk. All right, here we go. Still all to play for, Victoria. 5-1, right. 5-1. Here we go. The Wizard of Oz hits the Big Apple. The return... No, the... Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> he survived the most hostile and primitive land known to man. Now all he's got to do is make it through a week in New York. That's not a knife. Oh, not Crocodile London. Dundee! Yeah, there Did you, you go. know that, but you were with... Oh, Chris! <laughs> no, I, didn't, I didn't know it, I didn't know it. You're lying. I didn't know it. <laughs> okay, here we go. So, it's, good. We go. it's still to play for. 5-2. Beaming down to earth, December the 12th, 1986. Star Trek 4. The Voyage Voyage Home. Home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 6-2. Still all to play for. Still all to play for. There's a lot of questions. All right, here we go. Here we go. It's the last one. They're down on their luck and up to their necks in Senoritas, Margaritas, Banditos. The Three Amigos! Yeah! (laughs) All right, excellent. Bloody good stuff there. That was worth five, wasn't it? (laughs) Thank you, Chris. That was worth a a point for each amigo. Yeah. That's how it goes. It's like, it's it's about level pegging. Chris just pipped you at the end. I don't even know what the scores were. (laughs) That's the end of 1986. What a bloody great year in film. (laughs) Uh, Right then. We are back. On Thursday. Before then, how about a little clue for next week's movies just to whet your appetite? I like to say whet like that because I, I watched The Alienist and uh, Dakota Fanning in uh, the TV series The Alienist pronounces all her W's like that. And um, once you've spotted it, you can't ever not hear it. Anyway, little subtext uh, there to uh, why mm. I say whet. Uh, but here we go. Not, to... all, not all trivia is good trivia. Hmm. We're learning. Huh? Okay, here is, your, here is your clue. <laughs> Here is your clue. I've got an addendum for this clue as well. Um, but the clue is, just when I think I'm out, they pull me back in. The addendum is, it's not the Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> but the clue is, just when I think I'm out, they pull me back in. Oh. Is it the Godfather? <laughs> right, great stuff. That's your clue for next week's movies. In the meantime, I hope you enjoyed our little look through Big Trouble in Little China. We will be talking about the film challenging it for the title this week, The Golden Child, on Thursday. In the meantime, as I always ask, but it is very gratefully received. Please do rate and review us where you can and subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Speak to you on Thursday. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production.